In the Reading Corner today, I'm thrilled to be welcoming Dom Conlon, a poet and former copywriter. We're going to be talking about Dom's two most recently published books. They're Leap Hair Leap, a, uh, an illustrated book, illustrated by Anastasia Isolsu and published by Graphic. We're also going to be talking about This Rock, That Rock, which is illustrated by Vivian Schwartz and published by Troika. These books are actually connected by a love of the natural world and by the word leap. Well, leap, pair, leap, you might say that's pretty obvious, but why this rock, that rock? Well, of course, the minute we start thinking about the moon, we recall that phrase that Neil Armstrong allegedly said as he stepped out onto the surface of the moon, one small step for man, a giant leap for mankind. Welcome, Dom. Hi, Nikki. Lovely to be here. And I understand that you're actually out in the open today as we're recording, somewhere near Kirby Lonsdale. I'm in Kirby Lonsdale, just below Devil's Bridge by the river, and it's absolutely beautiful. Sounds lovely. Tell me a little bit about that connection, that word leap. Is it a deliberate connection, or did it just leap out at me as I was reading them? No, it wasn't deliberate. And, and I'm going to use that a lot because I'm using the word leap more and more, it seems. Uh, not necessarily consciously, but I'm finding that it's a great connective word to get into all the things that uh, interest me about space and about nature and, and just the world, world around me. But uh, one thing I did find about it, and the, the quote that you're using from Neil Armstrong, and I love, love saying this to, to children when I go into schools, but it's also the first two lines of a haiku that I've written in the book. And so all I had to do to finish that poem was find five syllables and uh, to complete it. And I think I put historic uh, moon words and it just completed the haiku and gave me a poem that Neil Armstrong mostly wrote. But uh, it's in my book, not his. So it's good. Well, that's quite a nice uh, link because I wanted to talk about compression and um, you know concentrated language and I'm not surprised to hear that you were a copywriter in a former life because although these forms of writing might seem to some to be absolutely worlds apart the poet and <laughs> the kind of copywriter um, there are connections aren't there? There are so certainly with my approach to copywriting one thing that you try and do is form a kind of emotional link between the in copywriting it's the consumer uh, but your audience and the emotional heart of whatever it is you're you're talking about so you're doing it in as few words as possible as concisely as possible and with that emotional and intelligent uh, sort of a combination that that's that works to best in, in any communication it's the 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 heart and the head kind of a connection to to whatever the subject matter is mm. but yeah so with uh, with video games you were trying to to get that emotional link to to whatever game it was that I was working on and we, we worked on all sorts for you know right across from um, Resident Evil to some cartoon network Ben 10 and things like that um, so we did quite a lot 
Okay, talking about leaps, it's going to be quite leap from resident evil to leap hair leap. <laughs> <laughs> now, the hare is such a fascinating character. I think when I initially contacted you, I said how glad I was to see a book about the hare. We used to have them uh, close by to where we live, and they're just such intriguing, mysterious animals. People think of them as being like rabbits, but they're not, are they? You know, everybody knows when they've seen a hare. If you're in any doubt, then you've not seen a hare. And I, and I think um, I would add to your list of uh, adjectives, I would add the word mystical, because mm. I think they are incredibly mystical animals. And when you see one, and I saw one only, it was only about five years ago, maybe, maybe even fewer, on a car park in a, a nature reserve, not far from, from where I live. And you're just in its spell, you're transfixed. The only other animal I've ever experienced a similar thing with is a deer. And they just seem to, they seem to be kind of portals into an ancient and a magical time. It just seems to connect with you straight away. It's just unmistakable, it's form and it's, it's poise. Very different animals, beautiful, beautiful. Mm. And then when you see them move and the eyes are like nothing else. Oh. <laughs> They're wonderful. Actually, I've just thought there's another connection, of course, because, and you, talk, you talked about the word mystical, but some people say that it's not a man in the moon, but a hare in the moon. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And there are lots of kind of, uh, of these folk tales of, uh, of hares and moons that connect it. So the way hair came about, actually, is through, I'd written a book, and I often kind of just write something that interests me. I just put it on my website and said, here's a book about foxes that you can read if you want. And one of our, I think one of our finest poets and, and nature writers, Nicola Davis, uh, read it. And she just said to, to Grafeg, you've got to read this. And they phoned me up and said, we've just commissioned uh, a lot of books about foxes. Would you consider writing about hares? I said, yep, no problem. And I went away, completely rewrote it and reimagined it. But the more I read about hares, you just can't help but fall in love with them. So I hadn't realised, actually, that there were all these hares all over the world. And I hadn't realised that the American jackrabbit is actually mm. a hare too. So did you have to go off and, um, as, as you were changing from writing about foxes to hares, did you have to do this kind of research which took you into different parts of the world? I knew what, what I wanted to do. Because I was the same, a hare is a hare. And then when I discovered actually a hare isn't just a hare and that you've got these extraordinary animals which have had to adapt to their surroundings, their environments, and do so in the most extraordinary ways. This is an animal that, unlike a rabbit, doesn't uh, burrow. It lives in, a, in what's called a scrape or a, a form. And so it's just a, a, you know, a, a dent in the land. And so you're giving birth to your young. They've got to be ready to... To, to run and to leap and to, to fend for themselves at a very, very early age. You've not got that protection of the burrow that a rabbit has. And so I thought this is, this is, a, this is a kind of natural story, not just for hares, but for, for kind of a lot of other animals and how they adapt to the climates and the environments that they're in, whether that's deep snow or desert or, or woodlands or mountain regions. And, and there are, there's just, they're as varied as, as the terrains that they that we find them in. And, and, and I think that's an amazing thing, you know, how 
how everything adapts to to survive and and to live in harmony and make the most of its surroundings. Mm. So I, I was interested in the kind of structure that you chose for this. Um, uh, your fox still manages to creep into the story. Um, yes. He's actually hunting uh, the hare and she leaps off but into uh, one of these other countries where these other types of hair are and that's the sort of format that you came up with tell us a little bit about that idea so with the poetry side of, of my writing i wanted to create something that was that didn't shy away from being magical but which didn't interrupt with the science side or conflict with it so i just thought this device of it needs to move around the world let's have it so that when it jumps up because they hairs are extraordinary at jumping when they leap they can leap something like three meters in the air and i thought i want to exaggerate this uh, in a way that is it's obvious that this isn't scientific but yet is still in the spirit of of the writing and the poetry so and that that get that very simple device more or less every every two spreads gives me the ability to quickly change scene to give variety uh, for for Anastasia to illustrate in her incredible art and to keep things kind of moving around without stopping and starting and saying well you know that was the brown hair and that lives over there this is the arctic hair and this lives over here I wanted that that whole seamless kind of flow to the to the story something else that you seem to be very fond of in your writing which i will tell you i appreciate it because my maiden name is kenning ah. <laughs> and you are a great user of kennings <laughs> what what is it about that poetic form that you really or that poetic device that you really love in two words a kenning can capture the absolute essence of anything and it's an extra and it's a, i mean you, you you know this i'm sure but it's a very old form of uh, of writing it's an anglo-saxon in origin and you would have entire poems built from kennings and it just seems a very immediate and very tangible kind of a thing in a way that metaphors and similes aren't in in it's much more direct and and obviously we've brought up showing how metaphors are very direct forms of imagery but a kenning seems to be even more so and when i'm in, in schools and um, we're talking about i said i'm a big fan of kennings and a lot of the time i find that the children are not aware of kennings and i think they're more difficult to understand in a way than a metaphor more difficult because you can't have to describe a tree children might say brown stick i said well that can apply to so many things so my example that I, I use for a child in year five uh, in a school in, in Charlie that I went to years ago, and I asked uh, a kenning for a, a whale. And one child, just straight away, ocean balloon. And I just thought that is just magical. Mm. Uh, I think that just sums up the, the, the joy of, a, of seeing a whale, the size of the whale, the bobbing about of a whale. So I think there's a lot of fun to be had with mm. kennings. So just to give our listeners uh, an idea here, uh, your hair is a firm-footed lee leaper and a wisp-whiskered dawn dancer. Just beautiful. And grammatically, it's interesting too, because essentially they're just nouns. 
Yeah, and it's that thing, isn't it, of of how simple language can be, or how mm-hmm. it, it didn't doesn't need to be complicated. We don't need. Uh, I know a lot of uh, writers uh, rail against adverbs, and yet schools teach them, and that's fine because mm-hmm. you know we should know the, the, the we should know all the, the tools. One thing I talk about in poetry is having a poetry has a um, tools, not rules. And I think if we're aware of, of tools like Henning's, then it just makes, it makes our conversations more interesting and it makes our uh, imagery more powerful. Mm. So I heartily recommend Leap Hair Leap to people listening into our podcast, but I want to turn for a moment to This Rock, That Rock. Now, this is a collection of poems themed around the moon. Uh, to begin, I was just interested whether you were writing for a collection or whether over a period of time you've just discovered that you'd got lots of moon poems and thought this would be a good collection. It was for a collection. Um, this was probably five years ago. So we were coming up to the 50th anniversary of, uh, of the first uh, landing on the moon. And I said I'd like to write poems in honour of that and looking ahead to, to the future of the moon. And, and I said, because it inspires me, the moon looking up into, into space and uh, into the sky at night just inspires me. So I said, mm. I'd like to write 50 poems for the 50 years. And I wrote those uh, from various points of view, from personal points of view, but also in different style, depending what the poem seemed to suggest it wanted from me. So it seems to me that um, I've already said that uh, there's an obvious love of the natural world and hearing you talk I can hear that coming through as well as off the page Uh, but there also seems to me to be a fascination with technology as well that comes through in your collection of poetry. Do you see that there's a tension between those? I see there's a lot so I love space exploration but at the same time we've got to go into these things with our eyes open and and realize the damage i mean you know we've got satellites that go around the earth and tell us so much about climate change and yet launching a rocket in order to put that satellite up burns so much fuel uh eye-watering amounts of fuel which contribute towards global warming and climate change and We've got, I think we've got to be aware of this and not shy away from the fact that with every thing that makes us perhaps feel a sense of wonder, there is also a great responsibility to the natural world from exploring space to managing our waterways and our farms because they affect everything. You know, we've got to walk lightly upon this planet in order mm. to preserve this, this wonder that, that is inspiring us and i know space exploration's brought great advances in technology which will help uh, recycling water and and making us more efficient as a species but to get there it's it's also there's a great cost as well that brings me nicely to um what i hope you're going to do which is read a poem for us i i detected a, a number of themes coming through the book and one of them was just about admiration and awe um, for our planet and for the moon as well. And I chose a poem that I hoped that you would read for us. It's called This Rock, That Rock. I would absolutely love to, because you're right, there is a sense of awe about this. And 
the fact that this moon, this slightly oversized moon of ours, is what is responsible uh, for life being able to exist the way it does is, is just extraordinary. So yeah, I will read uh, This Rock, That Rock. This rock is big. That rock is small. This rock is blue. That rock is grey. This rock has trees. That rock has rocks. This rock has rainbows. That rock has shadows. This rock has seasons. That rock does not. This rock has oceans of water. That rock has seas of dust. This rock is wrapped in a blue sky. That rock is loose within a black void. This rock orbits that sun. That rock orbits this rock. This rock is loud with stories and songs. That rock is as silent as a full stop. This rock has mountains filled with wealth. That rock has craters made poor by meteors. This rock is home to seven billion lives as brief as footprints in sand. That rock is home to footprints as long lasting as history. This rock is a planet. That rock is a moon. This rock is overflowing with life. That rock is what makes life on this rock possible mm. now i i loved many poems in this collection but the reason that i chose that one um well there were, were numerous uh, one is that it has an apparent simplicity to it um, and indeed it starts very simply with these contrasts but the further you go into the poem the way that it's structured it just takes you deeper and deeper into thought and it's one where you reach the end and you just want to think about what those final yeah. lines mean. Because it is an extraordinary relationship with, and I, and I think this applies to every relationship really, uh, our relationship with the natural world, our relationship with, with, with the people around us, in that we all make it possible for the others to exist. And we've got to be aware that we can't, we're not existing in isolation. And it's the same with the moon. You know, the moon steadies uh, the wobble of the earth uh, scientifically. We, we do have a slight wobble as we turn, but without the moon, that would be much more exaggerated and therefore you'd have wildly extreme uh, seasons. Obviously the tides are also uh, led by the moon as that moves around. And, and all these things are what give life to us. So mm -hmm. I think that poem is, that really taps into that that responsibility that we've got with, with mm -hmm. the world around us. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other poems that really invite us to look at the moon. So there's that lovely poem in a kind of mystical way, moon frost, solar mm. eclipse. And then there are poems that seem to be about shared experience. And I think you have one that you've chosen to read to us. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to read, I'm, a, I'm away on holiday at the moment. Me and my son are uh, uh, going up to, to Kirby Lonsdale and we've got a good kind of a father-son sort of friendship going on in that he likes to play his video games and I like to kind of lean up against him and, and write whilst he's doing that and sometimes we'll just speak and it's, it's a lovely quiet kind of thing going on and we also like to go camping and sit by the fire and do similar sort of things so this one's called Between You, Me and the Moon and it's, it's just, it is, it's about me when I, I look across at Oliver and 
and think how how he's changing and growing and and, uh, and what effect that will have on on our sort of uh, relationship it gets darker later now that your summer is here but i watch cool winds carry dandelion embers to your hair whilst the stars i used to sing stay faded in the air we sit together less often and tonight's moon is hard to find but the old campfire still recalls your bedtime books in the theatre of its flames, whilst the snap of wet wood brings slam doors to mind. You talk of new planets as I try to hold to the old, and the light of birthday candles torches intense, and your bike's backlight takes longer to arrive. There's too much space, and yet not enough for all you've become. I cannot keep you with the names of constellations, and yet we talk of everything between you, me, and the moon. That's just beautiful. Thank you. Those shared experiences are so special, aren't they? They really are. We've got these deeply personal poems. We've got this wonder of the moon. And then, I, as I said earlier, there is this appreciation of the, of the achievement of it all and getting somebody to the moon. I loved the way that you included the poem Humankind. Uh, no, Mankind is the name of the poem, isn't yep. it? It ends with Humankind because yeah. you remind us of all the women that yes. were actually involved in that tremendous achievement. Yes. And, you know, there's a, a great documentary series on Netflix called Connected. And one of the episodes is about clouds. And it talks about the way uh, weather forecasts came about. And I was taken back into my book when I heard him talk about how the original calculators to work out the weather across the entire world were basically an army of women doing incredible maths to, to predict future weather patterns. And it is an aspect of history that is, has always been there, but never, ever acknowledged, never celebrated. But now with things like Hidden Figures and there's lots of wonderful books now for, for children where you can access people the biography of people like margaret hamilton without whom you would not be able to have put people on the moon at mm. all mm. um i think it's extraordinary i feel there's so much more that i want to talk to you about your collection i think <laughs> i just want to briefly mention that vivian we talked about the illustration of leap hair leap i do want to mention that i think Vivian Schwartz has done a great job in illustrating poetry because they're, some of them are quite suggestive, which doesn't interfere too much with your own interpretation of the poem. And I think that's quite a skill to illustrate poetry. I think Vivian is one of the most remarkable artists I've ever met, the way she thinks. And she was as instrumental to editing the poetry in the book as I was. Um, one example of that, there's a poem in there about uh, my brother, who died when he was 17, he had muscular dystrophy, and he was severely autistic. And I'd written this poem called The Autism and Dystrophy of Brother Moon. And after quite a while, Vivian just said to me, I don't think that's the right title. And this is a brave <laughs> kind of thing to suggest to the poet, because she knew how personal it was. And we talked about autism. And mm -hmm. my experience of autism is very different to other people's, because Sean, my brother, if we went a certain way to the shops, it would be the blue way or um, Dominic's going the red way now. And it was all done in this kind of language that was really interesting language of how he saw the world. But 
for somebody to say, actually, this poem, which is incredibly personal about the death of your brother, I think you should change it, is, a, is an amazing strength that Vivian had. And I looked at it and immediately I thought, she's absolutely right. That title was the scaffolding in which helps me to write the poem. But now I can take that away because the poem stands on its own. And that's why in the book it's called Brother Moon. And it's enough. It's absolutely enough. Fantastic. Uh, but, yeah. And Vivian helped me be, with the language for the poem that you mentioned about uh, mankind and humankind. We talked about gender and issues of gender and that. And everything. That whole book is as good as it is because of Vivian. It oh. really is. She cut up the poems into individual poems, put them in a little box. And then she said she'd be walking around with this box in her bag, take it out, uh, pull out a poem, a random poem and think about it and carry it with her and then create the amazing art using so many different techniques of, of illustration. There's brush, there's collage, there's handprint, the handprint moon on the cover. Uh, there's so many different things. It, it's just extraordinary work. It really is. Fantastic. Really nice to hear that. Um, just before we close, I want to mention to teachers that one of the things that they will appreciate, uh, as well as children at the back of the book, are your notes about poems with kind of a suggestion about how this might spark children's own interest, which I thought was a really nice touch as well. Now, um, can I just ask whether there are going to be more books in the Leap Hair Leap series? There are, actually. I've written another one, and that's, I suppose, this is the, the advertising copywriter in me. I've created a brand kind of catch-all thing called Natural Wanderers, and I think there will be 10 books in the series, and they will look at everything, other animals, but other aspects of nature, trees, the wind, all sorts of things, where we'll look at it in a similar way to see how, how it is either across the world or within its own environment, but over time, all different kind of uh, ways, but to look at the, the wider implications of the subject the one i've just written is called swim shark swim and that looks that goes around the world so it looks at all different kinds of species and, and uh, sea life as well so i'm very excited about that sounds absolutely great dom it's been such a pleasure talking to you i feel we just scraped the surface today <laughs> so maybe there'll be another time in the future where we can dig even deeper thanks so much for joining us today Thanks, Nikki. Thanks for listening to In the Reading Corner with Just Imagine. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more on the podcast section of our website, justimagine.co.uk, plus via iTunes or SoundCloud or your usual podcast provider. Don't forget to pass the pod and recommend this fantastic free resource to your friends and colleagues.